What's going on, coaches? Starting uh, Tuesday is spring ball here in Oklahoma, so excited to get after it. Uh, if you guys are uh, needing anything or wanting to find any more information uh, out uh, going into your spring ball, head over to runthepower.com. We've got a lot of great stuff, uh, a lot of premium standard videos on there. All of our podcasts are on there. And also our free sign-up to watch the Hot Summit in June, the Offensive Line Hot Summit with uh, over 18 high school and college coaches Offensive line coaches across the country talking offensive line. Uh, that'll be free if you watch it live. You can go sign up. If you didn't already sign up for our first summit, you can go sign up uh, for the Hot Summit on our website. And then also our all-access pass is available now. Uh, it is only $75 right now until the summit starts. And it gets you all access to all the videos uh, after they've been shown for free live. You can go back to them, view them. If you missed any or want to go back over any, you can buy the all-access pass on our website as well. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to athletic programs around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program more efficient, more accountable, and smarter when it comes to measuring your team's effort in the weight room. Right now, Team Builder is offering a free 10-week spread offense tempo training program when you start a 14-day free trial at teambuilder.com. That's team, B-U-I-L-D-R.com. Make sure you guys put in the code RTP. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by our newest sponsor, Just Play. Whether you're a coach looking for a personal playbook tool or you're on a staff at a program looking to improve your team's preparation, Just Play has a solution for you. They have recently released a new product called My Just Play. My Just Play is a personal playbook tool for coaches at all levels, from Pop Warner, Pee Wee, all the way to the NFL. Create and organize your playbook with terminology, diagrams, video, and assignments, all starting at just $10 a month. Learn more at myjustplay.com. Again, that's myjustplay.com. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Masaki Matsumoto. Coach Matsumoto is the head coach at Lincoln High School in Tacoma, Washington. Listen as we talk with Coach Matsumoto about his coaching journey through Southern California and Washington, the core covenants of Lincoln football, and building and maintaining a great coaching staff. You can follow Coach Matsumoto on Twitter at Coach Matsumoto. Hope you guys enjoy. Well, Coach, let's go ahead and get it rolling. Uh, so how we kind of start this is is just we let you introduce yourself and, and uh, kind of about your fo- – introduce yourself about your football journey, really, as far as, uh, you know, kind of growing up through it and then, uh, you know, coaching and, and uh, how it brought you to where you are now. Okay, yeah. Um, well, so I was born in Japan, um, 1982, and, um, you know, pretty – normal childhood I would say um but when I was about three or four my life a little bit uh changed a little bit um my mom went through a pretty bad divorce uh with my with my dad and then um and then you know we they they got a divorce and I uh we kind of went back and forth my older brother and I you know between my mom and dad dad's on the weekends usually um so that lasted for about a few years. And then when I was about six or seven, my mom (laughs) 
stormed into the living room. My brother and I were watching TV and she said, I'm moving to America and I'm going to start a new life. And we're like, all right. Um, and so in my, okay. in my, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and she said, you can either stay with dad or you can go with me. And, uh, my brother being five years older, a little bit more established, you know, um, in Japan, uh, he decided to stay with dad and beat me being still younger and a mama's boy. I, uh, decided to come with my mom. And oh, so, wow. you know, yeah. And so, you know, my, the, the only family I have is, uh, my mom here, you know, as, um, everyone else is in Japan. Um, and so, you know, she's, she's been my everything and, and, you know, and she's done a good job of, uh, supporting me and raising me. Um, so, and I, you know, I thank her every day. Um, but anyways, when I got here, I obviously I didn't know how to speak English. And so, um, you know, the only really way I connected with kids were through, you know, at recess and through sports. And I think that's why sports has become such a big part of my life and, and why I'm so passionate about it. And growing up, um, I was introduced to football. You know, I, I had no idea what the, what the heck that was, you know, because soccer was the big thing in Japan. And, um, I guess one day uh, a family friend here in, in Seattle was babysitting me and they like put their son's uh, highlight film on uh, from a high school game. And they said that I, I was like glued to the TV and I didn't really know how to speak, you know, English very well at that time. But I guess I kept staring at the TV and kept saying football football <laughs> and uh they all they, they yeah they always tell me that story uh whenever i see them um even now and so yeah i guess you know and then i just kind of fell in love with the sport and um started playing it um when i was in third grade and never really stopped you know and the coaches i had in high school and college um really impacted my life um obviously way more than football and just taught me how to be a better man and taught me life lessons and um again you know so that's why i'm really passionate about coaching and 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 coaching more than football and and um yeah so got through you know college playing football and then um i went to grad school in san diego uh, right afterwards and uh I, I met someone at church and um and she said hey do you want to are you interested in coaching high school football? Because, you know, uh, I know you play college football um, and uh, I know our JV team uh, needs some help. She was the athletic trainer at a high school uh, mm. nearby. And, um, and I said, sure. Yeah. You know, cause I was in grad school and the, the classes were at night and I had some free time. And um, so I decided, I, I started coaching at Cathedral Catholic high school in San Diego. And, um, you know, I started out as a JV linebacker running backer coach because that's what I played in high school and then um eventually moved up and when I was um you know I, I and I really um uh, thank God for that opportunity because I mean they're they're a powerhouse in California and I learned under a, a great staff and a great program and I thought what a perfect way, place to start and then um when I was finishing up grad school I uh um you know, I needed a full-time job now as a teacher uh, and there was nothing in San Diego. And um, so I was like, okay, well, I still love California. And so I'm going to apply up to LA. Um, and 
there was a brand new high school opening up. This is in 2008 now um, in East Hollywood, um, in inner city. And uh, they, you know, they, they were looking for special ed teachers um, because I have a, a special ed and a PE credential. And so um, I said, you know what, it's a brand new school. They probably need coaches and I want to continue to coach. And so I applied and got, got the job there. And um, I, they had already hired a head football coach at that point. And so I was like, hey, you know, that's fine. I, I'm going to be an assistant. And then I also became the head track coach there. And, um, you know, 2008 to 2012, uh, four years, uh, the team went 0 and 36. Um, you know, I, I, it was, it was, a it was a pretty terrible experience. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to throw any, anyone under the bus, but just, you know, the program wasn't very well ran. And as an assistant, you know, I could only do so much. And, sure. um, I love, I, I love the kids, you know, um, mostly Latino kids, 96% was Hispanic at the school, um, you know, probably first time the football, um, but great kids, uh, you know, tough, tough family life, but, you know, um, I would, you know, if, if you're there for them, they, they love you and they'll run through the wall for you. And those were those kids. And, um, you know, I just kind of said, you know what, it's not about me. I'm just gonna, you know, be there and, and, whatever the head coach asked me to do and, and I'll be there for the kids. And then when 2012 came around, the principal approached me and said, Hey, I think we're going to go in a different direction. Um, you've been doing a great job with the track program. Uh, do you want to take over the football team? And, um, you know, through some prayers and talking to some mentors, um, I decided to take it. And first year we went eight and three and, um, you know, kind of, turned that program around right away and um, finished the three seasons I was there um, as the head coach. I think we went 29 and eight and we had a really good run. We went to the semifinals twice. Um, unfortunately lost. Um, and so we didn't make it to the championship game, but you know, things were going well, but uh, 2015 came around after that season. Um, you know, my mom's 74, she's getting older and, you know, she would come down to LA and visit, but, I was like, you know what, how long is this going to last? You know, I'm probably going to need to eventually get up there and take care of her and be with her, you know. Um, and so around in January of 2015, my head high school coach, uh, he, who's still there at the school, he emailed me an article about John Kitna leaving uh, Lincoln High School. Uh, he had taken over for three years, turned the program around a little bit, but he was going to take a big time job in Texas. And he said, hey, my, my coach said, hey, this would be a perfect place for you. It's still inner city. Um, you know, you're still going to work with kids who come from broken homes, et cetera. But the program's in a good place because of co what Coach Kitna did. And so I, that night I, I emailed the principal and, um, you know, a few weeks later had a Skype interview and I got the job and moved up here uh, to Tacoma, Washington. Um, in the spring of 2015 and we just finished our uh fourth fourth season there wow that's uh how cool i mean that must have been just to be i mean like you said just to build up from from assistant and then and then getting a a job kind of back i guess not back home but back where you where you grew up and, and kind of started playing football i'm sure was a was a pretty cool deal I, I, to me it's always just kind of cool when 
um, when someone kind of wants you to be their coach, you know, when you, 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 uh, call someone up and then you get the call back and they actually really want you is, is kind of a cool experience. But, um, I, I kind of wrote one thing down. I was curious. So when you moved over, um, to Seattle, uh, when you were younger, was there obviously other than your mom, was, was there anyone else that spoke, uh, Japanese or, um, could you just not speak English and, and you was really known to speak Japanese too as well. Yeah, really there wasn't anyone. Um, I mean, my mom had a few Japanese friends, you know, but I didn't, I didn't really, um, you know, talk to them too much. Um, so it was really my mom, you know, and uh, kind of funny thing. Uh, I would tell my friends, I, I had no idea how to speak English and I did not understand a word for probably first few years. And, you know, all these uh, American people would be talking to me and I would just kind of guess, you know, I would just nod my head or shake my head. And, you know, I, I had no, I had no idea what they were saying. They, they could, you know, they could, uh, you know, probably be saying some funny stuff and I would just be like, yeah, shaking my head and, or, you know, nodding my head. And so um, it took, it took me a few years to learn English, but, you know, I was still young, so I was able to pick it up pretty quick, but I was telling my mom, that's one thing I regret is, not speaking to my mom in Japanese, you know, um, consistently at home because mm -hmm. as you know, when I probably became a teenager, I started just, you know, speaking full-time English no matter what. And, um, you know, my Japanese isn't great now. And so, you know, now, um, my brother uh, in Japan, he has, you know, uh, uh, two kids and my nephew and my niece, and, you know, it's, it's really tough to, have a really good conversation with them you know I can still speak to them um have a simple conversation but um it's hard to have like a deeper conversation because I, you know I had forgotten a lot of the lot of the way a uh, lot of the Japanese and so that's one regret I do have huh hey, I, I wouldn't even have ever thought of that does so uh, you're at an inner city school in, in LA that you said was uh you know 90 percent Latino I think is what you said on, on your team um mm -hmm. Could you, I don't not. was there guys on your team as well that, that didn't, maybe they didn't speak English very well either, but uh, obviously because their second language would have been Spanish. Uh, could you kind of relate to those kids and help those kids or, or in LA uh, they know English pretty well at, at that, at the high school level? Yeah. You know, um, I would say there were definitely many students who didn't speak very well uh, in terms of English. Um, but for the most part, the kids I worked with, the special ed kids and the football players, um, I, I would say they knew English pretty well and they were pretty Americanized. Coach, would you say, you know, uh, be, being a special ed teacher and I've, uh, my dad was actually a special ed teacher for, for one year and he ended up going back and getting a different credential, but you know, he, he always he always loved the the education that he got from, you know, being in, in some of the sped classes because he thought it, it really helped with, you know, learning progressions and coaching progressions. And then the other thing I always noticed about my dad was, you know, he, he coached everybody. It, it wasn't a deal where, you know, he was coaching just the best players. He found a way to, to be very, very inclusive because he kind of said, you know, hey, that was kind of my upbringing in education, you know, when you're you're brought up in, in special ed, you know, it's, it's a, it's a chance for you to really figure out, you know, simple ways to, to teach things and ways to reach kids. And then, you know, having that soft spot in your heart for a lot of kids, would you say that was kind of one of the things that, you know, one helped your coaching career and then maybe two, 
you know, kind of also put you on that mode maybe to, you know what, there's going to be a lot more to my coaching style outside of just teaching these kids X's and O's. Yeah. So, um, when I first started grad school, I was just going to do, uh, I was just going to get my master's in teaching and one of my, um, uh, college or, you know, grad school advisor pulled me aside who I had built a pretty good relationship with. Um, and Hey, have you thought about doing special ed? Because no, I, I feel like you'd be great. And, and this is what sticks out to me when he said it, he said, I think it would be so cool to have, you know, for a head, for a football coach, because, you know, he didn't know I was going to be a head coach at that time, but a football coach to be in a special ed class, like, like that, what kind of hope that give would give to the kids, you know, like, Hey, my, my, my teacher is a football coach, you know, or a track coach. And that really stuck out to me, you know, and, um, I, after a couple of days of thinking about what he said, I, that's when I decided to, um, pursue my master's and credential in uh, special ed. And, um, you know, it, it, it worked out for me because I don't think I would have gotten a job in Southern California if I didn't have my special ed, um, credential, but to answer your question, um, definitely, um, it, it definitely <laughs> helps me, you know, help me with patience and really trying to find different ways to teach kids and truly understanding that, you know, um, kids learn different ways and, and at different pace and, um, you know, that you have to treat certain kids differently. You know, um, I, I learned all those skills. I feel like being a special ed teacher and, um, you know, I, I, uh, one of my, you know, assistant coaches in LA, he came up to my class one time and, and, you know, after, after the kids left, he said, man, like, you talk to the kids just like you talk to the football players, you know? And, and, um, you know, I, I, I feel like, yeah, I, I, I talk to them the same way really because kids are kids and, and kids need to learn different ways and they need tough love. Sometimes they need, you know, they need soft love sometimes. And so I think being a special teacher, um, has, has helped me a lot as a coach. Now, with that being said, um, when I came to Lincoln, the principal gave me an option of, uh, you know, being a, PE teacher or special ed teacher and me knowing how much I do as a head football coach, I, I, I did take the PE job because it just made more sense um, to be in the weight room, um, you know, as a head football coach. Yeah, no doubt. That can be, I mean, obviously for a program, extremely important to have, have the head football coach uh, in the weight room. So uh, complete that, you know, obviously completely makes sense. Coach, I was kind of curious. So, but, uh, with any kids, but I, I would assume the numbers would say even with uh, inner city um, kids with, with maybe not as much money, I think that economics probably plays a lot into uh, kids with, you know, one or two parent households. Um, I, I don't have any of the statistics to back that up, but just from, from what I've heard, and, and I think probably just more and more kids, uh, what is it, almost up to 50% with one parent households, um, you know, so the more and more kids that are like that, and then obviously uh, you grew up with just your mom, uh, you're, you know, in a completely different country than your dad. So you grew up as in a, in a one, you know, parent household. Do you think that, that those experience, have you been able to kind of draw on those to, to help your kids out? Because uh, I think there's, there are so many kids that are dealing with some of those same issues. And, and um, I'm sure, um, you know, I know my dad's his dad uh, passed away when he was 15. And I think that 
uh, being around football is, was one of the great things for my dad. And I think it's one that he kind of draws on uh, when he has kids with similar issues growing up. So uh, is that something that you draw on when, when you're talking with your kids? Yes and no. So um, me being able to relate to them coming from a single parent, uh, definitely, you know, um, I, I typically don't let them use it as an excuse, you know, um, because, hey, if, if I can do it, um, you can do it. And, you know, uh, and I told them I leaned on people like coaches. And so, hey, now you, this is the time where you lean on me, you know, and if you need help, I'll help you. And but you gotta you gotta take ownership and 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 so in that way um, I can relate to them, but I also don't let them use it as an excuse because I didn't. Um, but on the other hand, um, I I think it's ironic that I'm at an inner city school and that I've been at an inner city school for the last you know 11, 12 years um, because I went to a private school. You know, my mom um, wanted me to get a good education and knew the importance of a good education, and so. And he, she uh, put me in a, in a private school and, you know, really worked her butt off to uh, put me through that school. Um, and so I, you know, I don't come from that background in terms of, you know, the low income inner city setting. And so when I first got to that school in L.A., uh, Bernstein High School, what I think what made me so effective was I was naive. So, you know, because when I got there, there were kids not going to class. There were kids ditching. There were kids saying, hey, I might not graduate or I might not pass this class. And that was so foreign to me that mm-hmm. I just, I just, yeah. I attacked it. You know, I was like, what, yeah. what do you mean you don't, you're not going to class? Like, get your butt up there. I'll walk you. you know? What do you mean you're not going to pass? You're not going to, what do you mean you're not going to pass the class? Like, you, you take, you know, you, you sit in the front and you stay out of the teacher and you study for 30 minutes a day. You can pass the class, you know, like that's, it's not rocket science. And, and, you know, uh, and I think LAUSD, uh, Los Angeles Unified School District, I think, the, you know, the graduation rate is like 60. Well, at my high school, it was like 99%. So like, don't tell me, like, you're not going to graduate. Everyone graduates, you know. So I was so naive to all these problems that I just, again, like, didn't let them use it as an excuse, you know, and didn't let them say that was okay. And, you know, I think, you know, now I've been doing it so, you know, long enough where the kids at Bernstein, you know, are 23, 24, 25, and, you know, I get all these messages saying, Coach, I thought you were crazy <laughs> when, <laughs> when, uh, when you were coaching me. But everything you, you said to me, like, now makes sense as a, you know, as an adult. And, you know, to, to answer your question, I, I know it's a long version, but yes and no, you know, I, I, I really, you know, it's helped me that I am a, a product of a single parent, but also, I, you know, I, it's, it's, it's almost ironic that, you know, I'm making a difference um, at an inner city school because I, I didn't grow up in that, you know. Coach, I think that's awesome. It, and it sounds like, I mean, bottom line, I mean, you know, part of your core values was just going to be, hey, you, you're not going to make excuses for this stuff, you know, and, and this is going to be the, the standard that, that we live by. And it almost sounded like, too, I know you'd said, you know, kind of your, your early experience in, in the one program, you know, not winning games and, and seeing how, you know, you were probably saying, man, when I get a chance, I'm not going to run things like this. 
was that kind of one of your your major goals was like hey you know what I'm, I'm not going to let kids make excuses and, and I'm going to hold kids to high standards because you know I, I've, I've seen kind of the opposite of this to where you know it, it wasn't happening is that kind of one of the things that's become a you know kind of a core staple in, in what your programs are today throughout yeah so um our, you know, that's a, that's a huge thing. And, and our football program at Lincoln, we have our um, four core covenants and that's really our foundation of our program. And we, we explain to kids basically what, what a covenant means is an agreement or a promise among players and coaches saying that once you join the team, uh, these are things that we're going to do and we're going to do for each other. And, and our first one is love. And for us, love just means simply just you can depend on me. You know, um, I think nowadays, I, I think kids are taught that love is an emotion or a feeling or this high that you get. But we, we, you know, we have to teach them that no, love is a verb, you know, it's an action. It's, it's being dependable to the people you love. And then number two is ownership, you know, and we define it as that. It, we define it as it's my life, it's my responsibility. And so, you know, there's no reason why I should know your grades better than you know, you know it, you know? And there's no reason why I should have to talk to your teachers before you talk to your teacher, you know? And so teaching them ownership. And then the third one, like you said, is accountability. Being able to hold myself and others to high standards. And then the last one is discipline. Uh, the future is more important than how I feel now. And so the, the, the things that, you know, I kind of leaned on and just kind of naturally came out at Bernstein. Um, it's something that over the years I've kind of put on paper and said, you know what? I, I believe if kids and just humans in general can do these four things, they'll be successful in whatever they do, you know, football, life, work, whatever. And so, again, um, you know, our core covenant is something that we stress really every day to our kids. Coach, uh, you know, you talked about being a, uh, you know, going into, I, I believe you said you got your, your major uh, um, or your, yeah. Isn't that what it's after bachelor, your major? Your uh, master's. Master's. Hey, Coach, I'm so far away from it. Uh, <laughs> you know, hey, I mean, it's not like it's more than a bachelor. It's, uh, you might as well be a doctor to me. But uh, <laughs> I agree. it kind of actually plays into my, it kind of plays into my story a little bit better. But uh, so, Someone that, that does that obviously has to be uh, obviously work hard, but have some uh, a pretty decent amount of intelligence, obviously, uh, to, to be able to get that. And so uh, now, you know, working with high school, high school kids, uh, there's there's a point that of you know about football and then there's a certain ceiling that they know about football. Even if they're the smartest kid in, in the world, they're, they're only, you know, 16, 17, 18. So that, that intelligence gap football wise is, is a, fairly large gap is that something that that you um pay close attention to and and try to make it um as simple and not that the kids are simple but just to to make it as easy as possible for your players uh, i i noticed that's kind of like one of my one of my big things that i try, always try to do not that i'm that smart of a, a person but is always trying to um you know, simplified as much as I can for my players so they can play at a fast level. Is that something that, that you have to um, really try to look at and, and remind yourself of because, um, because of that gap, even if it was just from age, but also obviously uh, someone that, 
went through many years of college and then you're dealing with a bunch of kids that are 16, 17 years old in high school? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, it, I'm, I think I'm wired that way. I have to, you know, things have to really make sense and things have to kind of, um, you know, be related. And so, you know, every March, April, uh, which is now and coming up, uh, my big task is, you know, I go and visit colleges, I go visit coaches, I go to clinics, you know, usually January, February, early March, and whatever I learn, now I got to put it in a way that it makes sense to us and, and to our, you know, into our, and our playbook and our philosophy that we already have, you know, and that always takes a long time because again, like you can steal all these great things and all these schemes and stunts, whatever. But if you can't, you know, put it in a way that our kids understand it and put it in our system, you know, and fit it into our system that we already have, then it's really pointless. Right. And then on when we, and then when we game plan, um, after I, so I, I, I run the defense as well. Um, uh, you know, as a head coach. And um, after I'm done watching film and I get all the breakdowns, you know, from huddle, all that, my first task is, okay, like, you know, what, 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 what am I going to run this week again that fits into our, you know, our concepts that we already have and our numbering system that we already have that makes sense to the kids or, you know, and if they have special, you know, formations, um, you know, we have to run a, 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 a kind of, uh, you know, we have to run a defense that maybe that's not in our, you know, in our playbook, but um, how can it, how can I still name it or number it, uh, you know, so they can still recognize it, understand it. And so that's, you know, those two things are a huge part of my insult and, and in my weekly game plan during the season, um, just how can I make it? How can I, you know, make it um, make sense of it to the kids? I don't I know if I answered the question. You, you, you definitely did. Um, you know, because as an offensive line coach, that's that's always my balance is is trying to figure out the balance between what's the best way to do it and maybe what way is going to work the most of the time. You know, I don't want to spend uh, hours and hours on. Uh, one front that we may or may not see, and and if we do see this front, there's this is definitely the best way to do it, but it doesn't correlate to any of the other ways we run this play. And so now, yeah. am I teaching you know an extra week on how to run it the best way when I could just be teaching it for a day and it could be a good way to run it? You know, th those are always the balance I'm trying to find uh, when I am putting in a play or or when we're deciding how we're going to block it, um, you know, that week, or, or even if we install a new play and, and want to come up with rules that, that uh, you know, rule it up for our kids. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. And sometimes I feel like I, you know, maybe simplify it too much. And something um, that hit me over the weekend is uh, when I sat in on Coach Gower from, you know, uh, Norman yeah, North. in Oklahoma, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A, a great coach, I can tell. And, um, you know, he, he does a great job. But one of his points was, uh, you know, like, 
<laughs> he said, oh, coaches say, oh, keep it simple, keep it dumb. He, and he was like, BS, <laughs> you know, like kids will learn it. Kids are, kids, kids will learn it if you teach it, you know, in an effective way. And that I, I kind of felt convicted because I, I sometimes I feel like, oh no, that's, that's too much for the kids. And I don't give the kids enough, you know, benefit of the doubt. So I think what I'm going to do is, you know, this year I'm going to challenge myself and challenge them and say, you know what, you know, if when on that, on that Saturday night, Sunday, when I'm game planning and when I'm like, hey, you know what, this, this is probably too complicated. I'm a, I'm gonna check myself and say, you know what? No, let's, let's try it. You know, um, that's something I, I want to do a better job of. Kind of part of that accountability that you talk about when you're your core covenants coach, right? Hold the kids to, to high standards. You know, I think you exactly. Fall into, I'd fall into that trap sometimes. You know, in the in the classroom when you know you, you're maybe starting to kind of teach to the to the lowest common denominator, and it's like, you know what? What am I doing? You know, I need, I need to teach these kids this standard, and I need to find a, a better way to do it. And and the same thing will happen, man. They'll they'll rise to the expectations of it as long as you know how to teach it. Now, if you know, if if I'm a coach and I I don't have a clue how to teach it, and I'm, I'm making it confusing then yeah, I'm going to dump yeah. it. But if it's, if it's <laughs> something that fits rules and, and, and I can, you know, figure out a way to, to get it to fit, like you'd said, you know, put it in your terms, put it in the, the way that your kids know it, your numbering system, whatever it might be. Now, now by all means, yeah, let's, let's, let's practice the heck out of it. And let's get good at it because, you know, I think it's something that, that can help us, but there's, there's no doubt the kids will rise to, to our level of expectations. If we continuously say, Nah, you know what? They're not going to be able to do it, or they can't learn it. Guess what? <laughs> we'll make it come true. Exactly. Yeah, and you know something I've realized, um, just even working, you know, with uh, you know city kids, but just in general, kids are resilient. <laughs> they really are. You know, yeah. like I mean, you, I mean, they they go through crap at home, and you know, they go through all the peer pressure that they face as a teenager, whether you're rich or poor. Um, but kids are resilient, and and I think you know we gotta we gotta keep that in mind, and we gotta you know um, respect that you know, and 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 have high standards and expectations, like you said. Coach, I've always been curious. So as a head coach, and you're also uh, like you said running the defense, how how much do you get to peek in on the offense? You know, when you're at practice, because you are, I would assume, so consumed with making sure your defense is ready to go and defense is in Saul and then uh you know you've got you know another side of the ball that's that's working in practice that that you're also you know in a way in charge of since you are the head coach was that ever a a worry to you or um have you have you found obviously you have found good ways to uh kind of manage that of being the head coach over the whole thing and then also running the defense yeah um so I always joke joke around with the offensive coaches. It, it, defense defense game plans take so much longer. You know, like <laughs> offense. Okay, they they run two fronts. They run two coverages. All right, let's let's go home. You know, we have to exactly. we have to draw all our formations. We have to draw all their plays, and it's it's a nightmare. But um, you know, you brought that up uh, on a on a on a bad day because um, usually I especially the last few years, I, I really don't deal with the offense at all because I have, uh, I have an offensive coordinator um, that's been with me since I started being a head coach. Um, but this morning, great for him, 
that for us, um, he told me that he's going to uh, go try the college thing. And uh, he's going to go be a position coach at a local college. And so um, I'm not going to have any him anymore. So, um, you know, I'm going to, you know, probably open up the job and um, or possibly promote from within. But, you know, so obviously I'm going to have to be a lot more involved and, um, you know, kind of kicking in a lot more than they probably would like and, um, you know, setting on the game plans. Um, so I was, I was very fortunate to have a guy I could trust and uh, I, I really didn't have to, you know, check up on too much because he, I knew he was going to do the work. I knew he was going to be prepared. I knew he was going to have the, you know, eight page game plans ready. Um, but it's going to be different now. And to piggyback on that too, um, if in an ideal world coach, I, I would love to just not be, the, not be a coordinator. I would love to um, just oversee and have, have both coordinators because I feel like I lose out on so much program stuff being a DC. Like I said, you know, um, doing all the defensive stuff and scripting and, you know, that takes hours and, you know, the play cards. Obviously, you know, I've, I've delegated some, but there's just some stuff that I have to do, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, I, I just, exactly I, right. I feel like, I, I, yeah, I'm going to – I have to draw the run cards, you know, because I, I don't know if they'll draw it right. And, <laughs> and I have to do the scripting because I don't know if they'll, you know – include all the calls so um, there are things that I feel like I, I have to do um, that takes away from program stuff character development um, you know the motivational stuff that I could be doing during the season and so um, you know again if I can find someone to take the DC, the, the, the DC job and the OC job I would gladly give it up yeah, I kind of put my foot my foot in my mouth again. I <laughs> didn't mean to <laughs> didn't mean to bring that up on such a bad day. Sorry about that, coach. No, no, no. You're good. You're good. No, it's it's good. It's great. He he he's earned it. He, um, you know, his name is Charles, and um, he he's done a great job. And you know, when I got the job at Lincoln, um, you know, the principal asked me, "Hey, are you bringing anyone up?" And I was like, uh, "No," because you know these guys. Um, were 23, 24, you know, they've lived in LA their whole life and, you know, no, you know, it's not like Texas, like where all, you know, jobs are guaranteed and for your assistance. And so I didn't think any of them, any of them were going to come up with me. And I sat them down when I got the job and said, Hey, I just want to let you know, uh, I'm going to be taking the job and, you know, up in Tacoma and I wanted to let you know as soon as possible. So you guys can go find another coaching job. And, Three guys, um, including Charles, you know, uh, said, "Hey, you know, coach, we're going to come with you." <laughs> and I was like, "Do you understand that there's no job guarantee? Do you understand that, you know, you know, it's not a, you know, it's not Texas. Like you're not, you know, you're not making thousands of dollars coaching football." Um, and he said, "No, we we believe in what you're doing, and we want to go with you." And so, uh, Charles, Sergio, and Kevin, um, you know, they. They all came up with me, and you know they they got a one bedroom apartment together, and you know, sleeping on floors. Um, and they eventually, you know, kind of settled in. And Charles is a a special teacher at Lincoln, and Sergio is a um, strength coach, um, you know, at Lincoln now. So they, you know, they they're established now, and they're they're doing well. But I mean, they they took huge risks coming up with me, and uh, you know, I I leaned on them a lot. That's pretty cool, though, that you have 
you know, a tight circle of dudes there, you know, that, that obviously the kids are going to be able to see like, man, our, our staff gets along awesome. They're, they're good buddies. And then I think the second part of that, I mean, for those guys to do that, that shows you one, you know, how much they respect and like you, but two is, is how much they love football. I mean, I think mm-hmm. the hardest thing to find is, is people who genuinely love and, and want to just live and die on football and want to go learn more about it. And then, you know, want to learn more about how to, to motivate kids and help kids. I, I think when you yeah. find guys like that, I mean, it, they're worth their weight in gold. You know, and, and it sounds like you, you had three of them that were absolutely awesome. Yeah, unbelievable. You know, like they they put in the work all year round. And um, and so do our coaches at Lincoln, you know. Um, you know, so it was a combination of them three and then, um, you know, a few uh, stayed from uh, Coach Kidman's staff. And then we had to go hire, you know, uh, complete, you know, strangers. and and, and they've all kind of gelled pretty well. And, um, you know, we start our morning workouts in January and no one gets paid, you know, from January to August. And they are there, you know, we have six to eight coaches every morning at 5.45 a.m., you know, and it's, it's not a, it's not a zero period. It's just, it's just a football workout. And I'm just super blessed to have, have all these coaches, you know, including the three that came up with me. Well, Coach, uh, Coach Walls and I have kind of talked about it, but uh, you look at, and again, I'm awful with names, but look at the head coach up there at Washington and then the head coach at Michigan State. And, and to us, or at least to me, I, I, I think for Coach Walls as well, that it says so much about those guys that they've had the same staff, I mean, for what, 10, 15 years. I mean, guys that stayed with those coaches because they, you know, they, I'm sure their coach, the head coach treated them right, but also because they believed in what they did. And it's, it's always really cool to me to, to look at both of those staffs at Washington and Michigan State. And I'm sure there's plenty of other ones, but those are the ones that always come to mind. And you see the guys that have been with those head coaches for 10, 15 years and are loving it. And uh, there's, you know, they, they retain a, a, a lot of their staff. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, granted, uh, we, we have lost, you know, uh, in the last four years, we, you know, we've lost a few. Uh, but I would say, you know, not not including the the guys that came up with me, the the core coaches have stuck around, and I would, you know, I, I, I would just say it, it's strictly because they're just great guys. You know, some are some are volunteers, um, and some like we all split our stipends, and people think we're crazy because we work year round and <laughs> we split our stipends, and you know, during the season and just the, the guys are amazing they 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 believe in what we're doing and they 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 believe that it's way more than football you know and um and that's why they're there in the morning because i i tell them i tell the coaches you know in january at our meeting to prepare for the off-season workouts like hey if these kids get here for the morning workouts they get the first period like that's huge. <laughs> you know, that's huge for our school. Yeah, like exactly. A lot of kids at our school, yes. you know, a lot of kids are at our school have a very difficult time getting to first and second period, you know, just because their their mom is working. They, they can't get them up, you know. And so, um, you know, just getting them to the morning workouts gets them at school. And so, again, I, I you know, I, I tell them this is way more than football and this is going to help them in life. And, and these, because these coaches are such great, great men who care about kids 
um, that they're there, you know. And like I said, six to eight coaches at 5:45 a.m. With, with no pay, like it's just unbelievable, you know. And and that's why you know that's why we have 60, 65 kids every morning, and people are shocked. Like, and there should be school like 65 kids at a 5:45 a.m. workout, and it's just because we have great people and we have great kids. Kyle, that's awesome. I mean, that, that, that's to me the, the, the cool thing. And I hope, you know, the people that'll, they'll be listening to the podcast are, are hearing that. I mean, it, again, you, you're talking about that accountability and that expectation. I mean, you, your guys are, are living proof, you know, they're, they're modeling loyalty, they're modeling worth ec- work ethic, and then they're modeling, you know, being there for, for kids. It's not just something they're putting on a t-shirt, you know, and it's not just something that, that they're saying to kids, you know, after school when it's convenient for them you know, they're sacrificing right there with them, you know, sacrificing money for you guys sharing stipends, you know, not complaining about the, that aspect of it, but just understanding that, Hey man, it's not about what we get paid. You know, I, I think I figured it out at one point when I was GA and I was making like 22 cents an hour, you know, if the government knew about it, you know, they, they'd have, they'd have been under investigation, but it didn't matter because I enjoyed every single second of, of it, man. And yeah. I, and I think, just hearing that story right there is, is literally why we do run the power, you know, is for guys, for guys to hear that story and for guys to understand that there's thousands of coaches out there that are, are sacrificing so many different things to grow this football game and to, and to grow it for kids who are, are definitely less fortunate than we are. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think when you, you know, tell a vision that that's, that's meaningful and that's you know more than x's and o's i i think people are drawn to it you know and i think people want to want to help and want to do the right things and um you know i think i i would recommend to all the all the you know coaches and young coaches um to you know make it more than football make it make it you know use football as a vehicle to help kids basically you know and i think you know People jump. People will jump. You know, on board with that. You know, if it's just if it's just about football, it gets it gets boring and it's you know it's not impactful. But when you make it more than football and you use football, you know, um, as a vehicle, I, I think pe- a lot more people will jump on it and uh, and and realize, hey, I'm I'm doing a great thing. I want to keep doing this. Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt about that. And and it's uh, you know, like you said, great thing for kids and. And uh, that even comes back to um, – and, and I think Coach Walls, when he was here at Broken Arrow, kind of was – I don't think he instituted it, but he was a part of the institution of it. But uh, we got lucky enough to have uh, – they had just built, in, in, uh, you know, a 60-yard indoor or 40-yard indoor, and they started opening it up for three or four hours on Saturdays. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think the kids kind of think that it's, you know, to help them get stronger. But we really th- – there's very few kids that even come in and lift. A lot of them just come in. Uh, they get to play football inside a little bit, play catch, and uh, probably more than half of them sit there and, and eat free peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and just hang out. And it just gives them something yeah. productive, gives them something to do, gives them a, re- gives them a reason to get up at 10 a.m., you know, and, and just has something for them to do over the weekend that, that they're not doing something, you know, that they shouldn't be doing. Or uh, if they are, at a, you know, a less fortunate family, they're, they can come up there and eat six peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and as much milk as they want these kids can, and, and they've got that opportunity to do that and then hang out with their friends. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, you know, I, something I realized 
uh, early at Bernstein is kids don't want to go home, <laughs> you know, and kids, yeah. you know, and, and kids, kids want to belong to something, you know, and mm-hmm. um, I mean, uh, practice was over and, you know, the coaches would stay afterwards and the kids were still there and, you know, still throwing the football around on the field and asking us to turn the lights on. And, and so, yeah, like kids, kids really just don't want to be home and they want to be somewhere and they want to be with people that care for them and they want to belong to something, you know? And so, yeah, whenever we can open up the weight room or, um, you know, even the, the snowmageddon, you know, when school canceled, we, we, <laughs> made it you know we we opened we went and opened up the weight room and there were That's 20 awesome. 25 kids yep. you know and so um yeah I, th- I think it's great that to have those things available to the kids coach you had talked a little bit about um uh, about you know drawing up your own cards and, and how you could you could obviously get other coaches to do that but but that you uh that you kind of that you're the one that does that right now or, or has at least the past year um i, I kind of noticed the same thing i dropped the the scout cards uh, during practice for our um, inside run and then during team session. And, and honestly, as, as an offensive coach, I could probably get away with um, just lining up a defense, you know, in the front that that defense is going to be in. But I always give kind of notice that with cards, it kind of lets me really tap into when I'm really detailed with them, kind of tap into maybe a little bit better mindset of maybe what we're going to see from that defense or what that defensive coordinator is thinking uh, by scripting, you know, whatever that ends up being, 45, 50 plays that day, I'm scripting that defense every time, and then I'm going back to look at film. Maybe even, you know, I don't always have the best short-term memory. Uh, so maybe even, uh, you know, it was 21 personnel, but I have to go back and check it again to make this card. And then I see, you know, five or six more clips that I've already seen, but now I'm watching them again against 21, and now I'm drawing it up. And then, oh, okay, well, let's bring them a blitz. Now let's go back through and see what their favorite blitz is of this personnel or whatever that is. It, it kind of allows me to throughout the week, get a little bit better grasp of what I think that we're going to see on Friday. Have, have you noticed any, uh, any parallels to that or, or you just, uh, you know, just got into um, that's just kind of what you do is, is draw up those cards. It's a little bit different, I guess, for defensive coaches because you guys almost have to have cards. Yeah. So I 100% agree with you, uh, Coach. Uh, you know, um, so what I do is I draw all the run plays that they run. Um, I have our DB coach run draw their pass plays. Um, but you know, my mentor, one of my mentors, uh, John Montali, um, he was the defensive coordinator at Cathedral Catholic where I started, and I was under him. Um, he, he 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 used to draw every single um, you know play and. Um, I, I asked him one day, coach, like, do you draw every single play and even every pass play? And he said, yeah, like, what's one or one or two more cards, you know? <laughs> so he he drew he drew all of them, and so I kind of I, I kind of um, you know adopted that philosophy. Uh, you know, it, I'm gonna spend 30 minutes drawing them anyway, so what's another you know what's another five ten minutes to draw all of them? And so um, I draw all the run cards and what. <laughs> the type a the type a um you know comes out and i have to draw the same plays against different fronts that they have you know uh, because <laughs> one our scout team won't block it right <laughs> if i don't draw exactly how you know how they have to draw it against odd front you know even or, or, or yeah odd front under over and so again 
there's usually about 120 <laughs> run cards um, that I, I, I do. But also, back to what you were saying, um, it really helps me um, dissect what they're trying to do and their blocking scheme. And if they're blocking it like this, if they, you know, if it's just a regular scoop or are they going to pin and pull, you know, I, I get a good idea of that just drawing them out. And I feel like it gives me a, a really good feel um, for for what they're going to do, you know, at least in the run game. And then obviously pass game, I'll, I'll look over this, um, you know, the film and the, uh, the play cards that our DB uh, coach has drawn. But it really does help me when I draw it out myself. Yeah, I've always I've always felt that same way, and and but I've also always thought like for defensive coaches that that would be one of the mo the more difficult things is you know just because a team you know might run power what whatever it is a team's gonna run power but uh, if you're an even front and the team they played the week before was an odd front you know they're not gonna block it the exact same way uh, against that odd front as they will against your even front so there's um, a lot of dissection. Uh, over that as far as okay we kind of know they're going to run zone but or power but how are they going to run that against us like you said are they going to go outside well maybe they went outside zone last last week but our defense uh, by the way they've done things the past you know however many games the way our defense is going to set up against them maybe now they are going to pin pin pull against us because of you know our front or how we play things I've always thought that was kind of the interesting chess piece to watch um, from defensive coaches, and I run our offensive scout team. That way I can coach up my my twos and my threes, and I get some really good coaching with them. And um, it's always kind of funny for me. There's there's some coaches that I think do a really good job of of dissecting it and, and um, having an idea of how that team is going to run those plays against them. And then there's been some coaches that um, I look at how they've got it drawn up, and I think there's no way this offensive coach is going to run it like this. <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah I just you know because our defense um just using kind of a simple numbering system we can get into multiple fronts and so um and I know I'm going to use that in the game and so you know like I said um the type a in me and uh knowing uh, you know our scout team is not a JV kids um I just I have to draw power against you know even um, or under, over, you know, and our, uh, our odd front. And so, um, you know, I, 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 would, I would say, I would say I could probably, you know, just for my health sake, I, I probably could cut back. Um, but I don't know. And then that's why scripting takes me so long too, because I got to script, you know, same play sometimes, you know, against different Front, you know that, right because you all, want your kids call. to have seen and, it against even and odd or or all three of your fronts exactly probably. exactly and so that's why scripting takes so long because i got to be really methodical and and make sure i include the best plays obviously but also you know the 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 different fronts that i'll probably run against it so um you know i wish i i wish we had um, you know, 30 minute team time, but we only have 15. So I got to really be, you know, very, very, um, you know, uh, intentional about what, what I, what I script. And so that's why, again, I have to, as long as I'm the DC, I think I'll always draw the play cards and I'll always script. I think that's hilarious because I mean, it, it, it's so many times where, you know, they'll make one set of cards 
And here, you know, we, we have to run the scout team as well. We service each other because you, you run short on bodies. And, you know, mm-hmm. they'll, have, they'll have the play drawn up versus an even front. And then, and then they're in stack. They come out <laughs> on stack. You know, and you're just like, dude, really? You know, I mean, and I get it. You know, hey, script for success. But, like, you know, God, we can't get a scout look. I'm like, well, no crap, you know. I, I, can't, I can't coach these guys up in, in 20 seconds as to how you want it blocked. So I always think that's, that's one of the questions I was going to ask you. It's like, man, you know, some, some of these, these defensive coaches need to go to, to, to some offensive line sessions so they know how to draw some of these things up versus some of these fronts. Uh, I always thought that was funny with, with some of the defensive coaches. And then the other thing I like to ask the defensive coaches mm-hmm. now, you know, sorry you lost your offensive guy, but what, what was kind of your calling card? Like as a defensive coach, there was always like one or two things that defensive coaches wanted to say to the offensive coach. It was either one of two things. For me, it was either, hey, you know, make sure you guys are just pounding the ball and run the ball so you keep my defense off the field. Or they always wanted to have like a trick play, like every single defensive guy that I knew would come in and they'd they'd want to sit down and be like, "Hey, you know, you got a couple of cool trick plays. Maybe you know, maybe you could run like this trick play." You, you have any stuff like that now that you're the head coach and you, hey, I know I'm the defensive guy, but I want to make sure I got my trick play or I got, you know, some, something in the game plan. I know Coach Trimble would always come in and he's like, "Hey, Coach Walls, how are we going to run running back wheel?" So that was always kind of like his calling card. What, what's, what's some of your stuff as the head coach when you get your little offensive input now? Yeah, you know, um, again, it's, it's kind of changed because, you know, in the last three, four years, I've really developed trust in, in our own team, you know, um, because in the beginning, it was definitely, definitely run the bang ball, you know, um, <laughs> just because I was running back. I was a running back. Um, and, our OC actually was an old lineman, and so you know he you he he's 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 really good good with the run game, um, and so hey like, and I'm a DC, so any you know DC loves the uh, offense that offense that runs, you know, and so um, but ironically we're air raid, you know, <laughs> um, well we've evolved into air raid, and so um, obviously. You know, we still run the ball pretty well. Um, and again, our OC is the old line guy, so you know he's not going to ever go away from the run. Um, but you know, we we have those uh, three and outs, and I just I gotta I gotta live with it, you know, because I rather <laughs> have this OC happy than um, you know be me being stuck in my old ways. But one funny story, um, and our OC will always bring this up and make me feel bad. But um, this was probably year two. At, at at Bernstein in LA and you know at that time we weren't air raid yet and we were you know pound the rock and run counter tray and zone read and that's really that's what we had success on um but we had a bye week and um for our bye week we went down to go watch Cathedral Catholic you know where where I started coaching and um I took my OC and a couple other coaches and they were playing from high school and uh, that was when Jake Browning was there, and um, you yeah. know he ha- he set all these passing records at Folsom, and my you know uh, and my OC was just kind of in awe of of you know the passing game and all these things that Jake Browning was doing, and um, that night Cathedral Graphics sent us that film you know on Huddle, and. 
RLC started breaking it down and studying Folsom's offense and and uh, kind of I got carried away with the pass, passing game. And so that, that next game, um, we started out the game and we went five wide empty. And I knew about it, you know. Um, I knew about it. But he went five wide and he threw the ball three times in a row, which we had never done. And we went three and out. And I got on the headset. And I, I got on the headset and I, I yelled. I said, we're not effing Folsom. And then, and then, uh, clicked over. And then, uh, he started running the wall and we eventually, you know, we, we, we came out with a win, but, um, yeah, so kind of, kind of a funny story. And he always, you know, gives me a hard time. And whenever we, we meet new coaches, he'll always tell that story to make me look bad. (laughs) What an awesome story. That's awesome. That's really, really funny. Yeah. So yeah, after that, after that, those three plays, we kind of scrapped uh, the post and stuff, and we went back to our run game stuff. All right, back to <laughs> the power. Okay, here we go. <laughs> exactly. Well, coach, we're kind of we're kind of coming up on an hour now, but uh, time to kind of wrap it up. But last question, I always love to ask, and and it's really kind of cool to hear it from defensive guys. But uh, when you're watching another team's offensive line what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think really highly of their offensive line coach? Yeah. So I've, you know, I've actually learned a lot from ROC in terms of O-line play and um, the two things I always look for, the two things that always scare me, the two things that we always look for in our O-line first two steps and that they, you know, there's two names for, I guess uh, we call it waddle or, or duck walk, you know, that, they duck walk to the second level. When they do that, I feel like, okay, they're, you know, good first step, first two steps, and they um, duck walk to the second level and they're disciplined, you know, um, they're not overrunning or trying to get pancakes, you know, and they pick up that uh, second level defender. Whenever I see that, I, I always think, okay, that's a, that's a good coach. That's a good little line coach. Yeah, coach, I couldn't agree more, man. It's that blocking the second level is is when those those big runs happen. You know, a lot of guys are, hey, man, stay on the down, stay on the down. Absolutely, yes, we you know we don't want defensive linemen to to make plays, but if if we're going to be able to run the football and and run it effectively, by all means, we've got to be able to block that that second level. And I think, you know, a lot of coaches out there kind of maybe neglect that area, but being able to teach those angles and teach that fit on the second level that is the sign of a, of a well-coached offensive line. There's no question. Yeah. Well, coach, man, it's been a blast. I appreciate you, you know, giving us a couple hours here. I know it's, it's a, it's a couple hours ahead, you know, four o'clock. Uh, you, I don't even know if you, you had a chance to get home yet, but again, uh, it's been a blast to, to be able to, to speak to you and, and, and hear your story. And I think some of the things that you're doing, you know, at, like you've said, uh, inner city programs is, is to be tr- tremendously commended. I think th- those kids really, really need it. And, and it sounds to me, you know, and the people that I've talked to, and I know Coach Bartell has, has great things to say about you and your program, and I think that, that what you guys are doing is awesome, and, it, and it's why we coach this game. So keep up the great work, and, it, and it's a, a, an honor to meet you, man. Thank you so much for, for having me. And, um, you know, I, I, I kind of mentioned in our, uh, you know, message on Twitter, but thank you. Thank you guys for doing this, and thank you guys for, you know, kind of, 
spreading the word of football and and I, I've learned a ton from listening to other coaches on this podcast and you guys are making it happen and so you know again thank you thank you for having me and thank you for what you guys do and that's gonna do it for this episode of RTP we want to again thank all of our sponsors you guys make sure and go check them out help grow our community by telling other coaches about run the power and if you enjoy running the power go get your shirt long sleeve or hoodie at runthepower.com also if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app this will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com follow me on twitter at harper underscore coach and coach walls at coach brady walls Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.